DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of Hidden Mountain's Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we discuss the letters of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, we continue our exploration of the letters of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Yes, we do. We're getting into a more exciting period of her life. Up until now, the letters that we've been looking at have been letters that she wrote kind of when she was passing through a a difficult purification. In fact, the last letter we discussed about the Eucharist, she was just coming out of it. She had suffered pretty intensely Now she's made her religious profession, and she's receiving a deeper kind of intimacy with Christ than she's ever known before. And it's during the same period that she composes her great prayer, Oh my God, Trinity, whom I adore. Uh, And that begins the phase of her major works. Her most important works are written from now in 1903 until her death in 1906. All her, her major works. And then a tremendous number of letters. Almost half of the letters that she writes in her whole life are written in the next three years. Wow. So this begins a fruitful phase of her life. Before we begin looking at the actual letter, Anthony, could we talk just a little bit about the importance of the person's expressions in letter writing? The reason I I couch it that way is because it's really a practice that we don't enter into very much anymore in today's society. We're we're such text-oriented, really brief, short sound bites that for the saints that we've come to know, in their letters, it served two purposes, not only to communicate to the person, but it helped them to kind of break open a bit more for themselves, didn't it, their own spiritual experiences? Yes. In this exploration, then, you kind of get a very intimate and personal look at what's going on in Elizabeth's heart. This is particularly true when she writes to to priests and very close friends. Uh, Madame Angles is one of her very close friends, uh, family friends. And so she, in fact, Madame Angles doesn't know at uh, at this stage of the game uh, 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 she's a third order Franciscan, but she she's eventually going to enter religious life herself. And whenever there's somebody who is a person of prayer, who's thinking of a, about a religious vocation, who's a priest, Elizabeth just kind of like opens up the valves. You, you see what's flowing through her heart in a, in a deeper and a more intense way. You know, the, the reason I bring that up is the people of that time, but also up until 
maybe I'm even thinking the letters that I've seen from, say, writers like Flannery O'Connor, who would communicate with friends and family members through letters, that those become, in a way, an opportunity to journal their experiences and to be able to articulate them. And for those who are receiving them, it is a chance for them to be able to have that letter and to look at it again and again, especially if it's, you know, from a spiritual friendship or a spiritual companionship type of thing. We've lost something in today's experience, I think, that somehow it would be, wouldn't it be beneficial for us to once again encourage and at least try in writing down things, especially of a spiritual nature? Yes, I think that it's really good for your spiritual life to do that. The other thing Elizabeth does, though, that is important is she's kind of selective about who she says, what she says to whom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some people she's really going to open up her heart in a really deep way and, and sometimes even kind of disclose to them different things that she's suffering. And other people going to be a lot more discreet. For example, she doesn't like to cause her mother worry. So in her letters to her mom, she's pretty discreet about some of the, the hardships that she's gone gone through. Whereas with this old priest, Canon Angs, uh, who is related to Madame Angs, she's going to be a, a lot more free in saying, saying what's going on. So anyway, yeah, Madame Angs is, a, is the aunt of one of her close friends, we haven't read any letters that Elizabeth wrote to her, but Marie-Louise Morel, who Elizabeth wants to get into Carmel. I don't think she succeeds, but she wants to get her into Car- Carmel. Well, it's an interesting thing. She's writing her friend, Marie-Louise, and then the, the mom starts <laughs> writing Elizabeth, and the mom's the one who will eventually go into religious life. It's a very interesting thing, um, how God can use these letters. And, and I don't know why she opens up to Madame Ong's, I'm not exactly sure, except that maybe because she was kind of a maternal figure, Elizabeth felt that she could trust her. And so that's why this particular letter is so rich. Well, let's enter into this letter then. November 24th, 1903. Dijon Carmel. My beloved is all mine and I am all his. Madame and dear sister, I was very touched by your good wishes. I, for my part, celebrated your feast day too, since St. Elizabeth is your patron. For it does us much good to look into the soul of saints and then to follow them through faith right up to heaven. There, they are all luminous with the light of God whom they contemplate face to face for all eternity. This heaven of the saints is our homeland, the Father's house, where we are awaited, where we are loved, where one day we too will be able to fly and rest in the bosom of infinite love. When we consider the divine word that envelops us already here in our exile, and in which we can move, oh, then things here below disappear. All of that doesn't exist. It is less than nothing. The saints, for their part, 
understood true knowledge so well, the knowledge that makes us leave everything, and especially ourselves, so we can fly to God and live solely with Him. Dear Madame, He is within us to sanctify us, so let us ask Him to be Himself our sanctity. When our Lord was on earth, the Gospel says, a secret power went out from him. At his touch, the sick recovered their health. The dead were restored to life. Well, he is still living. Living in the tabernacle, in his adorable sacrament, living in our souls. He himself said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him. So since he is there, let us keep him company as a friend does with the one he loves. The essence of our life in Carmel is this divine, holy, intimate union. It is what makes our solitude so precious for, as our Holy Father John of the Cross, whose feast we are celebrating today says, Two hearts who love each other prefer solitude to anything else. On Saturday, the Feast of the Presentation of the Blessed Virgin, we had the beautiful ceremony of the renewal of our vows. Oh, dear Madam, what a beautiful day! What joy to be bound to the service of so good a master, to tell him that one is his until death. Sponsa Christi! I am so happy to feel that you too are given to him. And it seems to me that, from up in heaven, our great Saint Elizabeth must bless and seal the union of our souls. Please tell your little sister, Amelda of Jesus, that I very happily grant her wish by remembering her each day before God. I ask her to pray for me too especially to say thank you to him who has chosen the better part for me. I was very happy to have news of you through Mama, who was so well received, so spoiled when she was with you. I don't know how to express my gratitude to all of you for that. As for me, I will never go to your beautiful mountains again, but I will follow you there in soul and heart, asking him who is our rendezvous, to draw us to those other mountains, those divine summits that are so far from earth they nearly touch heaven. I remain wholly united with you there beneath the rays of the Sun of Love. Sister M. Elizabeth of the Trinity, RCI. Madame Engels has taken kind of a religious name for her third order Franciscan group that she's part of, and it's St. Elizabeth, the same name that Elizabeth of the Trinity has. And so Elizabeth, notice, connects with her on that, but then she turns it into this reflection on the saints and our true homeland. Her vision of heaven here is, is a very beautiful vision. Uh, we, we tend to look at heaven as kind of like this boring, static place, okay, you know, uh, after we've had fun in this life, we die and we float around on clouds. Well, that's not Elizabeth's heaven at all. Uh, for Elizabeth's heaven, it's the place where we're, we are awaited 
by love. Love is awaiting us. And it's a place where we are completely and totally loved, flying into the bosom of infinite love. This is profound truth Elizabeth has touched upon. The human person is the kind of creature that is made to receive love. He, she is in the image and likeness of God, and God is the one who loves and who is loved from all eternity. The Father loves his Son. He, the Son is the beloved of the Father. And the Son who is lavished in this love returns it completely back to the Father. This is last time Elizabeth talked about the great silence that uh, when we go into Eucharistic adoration, when we enter into uh, prayer, there's that, that holy, beautiful silence. And that silence is filled with the love of God the Father and God the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth is bringing that same image that she referred to uh, in that letter. She's bringing it to, to bear in this letter, in this letter about heaven, at least in this paragraph. She wants us to understand the place that we are headed, the place that we are going, where the saints are, is this place where we are completely baptized in the love of God. And so if you think about this, today's people are kind of lost and uh, sometimes wander around in meaninglessness with their lives. They want some kind of satisfaction and they grasp for it either in pleasurable things or in relationships or trying to get security in one way or another, or grasping for things, or sometimes drugs and pharmaceuticals. You know, they, people grasp for all kinds of things. The reason why they're not satisfied is because they're, they're created in the image and likeness of God, and created in that image and likeness of God, they are meant to be loved and to love. And Elizabeth is saying, this is what is awaiting us in God. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. 
So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. There is, as you alluded to, such an ache in today's society, in our culture, because people, they don't have authentic relationships. Or if they have relationships, they've been um, experienced in, in such a broken nature, even to the heart of the family, because families have been broken more so than maybe what they have been in the past. That can affect our experience of understanding heaven, can it? Yeah. Uh, we live in a very alienated world where uh, people um, aren't sure whether love actually exists. They um, they have questions about it, and and so they don't. Um, uh, they so it's ironic. Uh, we live in a world where people expect things out of relationships that human relationships can't give. You know, they they expect things from mere human beings that only God can give, and then they're disappointed and they give up on love and they're alienated even more. Well, so then when we describe heaven as this place of perfect love, this kind of being immersed in the infinite love of God, somebody has not experienced love. This idea is so foreign and so different. It doesn't always resonate with everybody. That being said, the pathway forward, even for those of us who've maybe come from broken situations and and, um, harsh life circumstances, the way forward by a simple act of faith to believe in love anyway, that love is more powerful than the alienation that we suffer because love is risen from the dead. Love can't be vanquished. The love of God cannot be vanquished. He's risen from the dead. Everything he did in his earthly life, Elizabeth says in this letter, um, uh, when he healed people, when he raised people from the dead, he's still doing it now. Because he is risen from the dead. Listen to this. November 24th, 1903. Dijon Carmel. My beloved is all mine, and I am all his. Madame and dear sister, I was very touched by your good wishes. I, for my part, celebrated your feast day too, since St. Elizabeth is your patron. For it does us much good to look into the soul of saints and then to follow them through faith right up to heaven. There they are all luminous with the light of God, whom they contemplate face to face for all eternity. This heaven of the saints is our homeland, the Father's house, where we are awaited where we are loved, where one day we too will be able to fly and rest in the bosom of infinite love. 
When we consider the divine word that envelops us already here in our exile and in which we can move, oh, then things here below disappear. All of that doesn't exist. It is less than nothing. The saints, for their part, understood true knowledge so well, the knowledge that makes us leave everything, and especially ourselves, so we can fly to God and live solely with Him. Dear Madame, He is within us to sanctify us, so let us ask Him to be Himself our sanctity. When our Lord was on earth, the Gospel says, a secret power went out from Him. At His touch, the sick recovered their health, the dead were restored to life. Well, He is still living. Living in the tabernacle, in His adorable sacrament, living in our souls. He Himself said, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word, and My Father will love him and we will come to Him and make our home in Him. So since He is there, let us keep Him company as a friend does with the one He loves. This gets to what I meant by an act of faith. For, for people, I, you know, we live in a world where there's a lot of divorce and broken families and abuse in it robs you of your sense of identity it kind of distorts what you think your true needs are and it robs you also of a sense of purpose you know, a lot of people suffer with that what's the what's the way out of it i mean being diagnosed the disease where's the healing and elizabeth is proposing that the healing is mental prayer that when we believe that jesus who walked on the earth and raised the dead and healed the sick is walking with us right now, and that, that that is more true than anything else that's going on in our lives. His presence to me right here, right now, is more true. I can have more confidence in that than I can in the book in front of my face, the, the cup of coffee in my hand, that he is that real. And I ponder that, and I spend time with that, just like you spend time with a friend, you spend time with Jesus. When you do this, he is transmitting something to you. He is sanctifying you. He is setting you apart for a singular kind of love. This is what Elizabeth what wants Madame Angus to receive, and it's also something we can receive if we accept this invitation into deep prayer. Appreciation that he is that close. I think it's easier for us, isn't it, Anthony, to have a peripheral experience of Jesus, that somehow that he's over there. If I turn my back and I don't acknowledge him, that he's not present. But it, it, to have that relationship, to have that depth of, can I say faith in this instance? I mean, to have that faith that he is with us and he doesn't leave no matter what, even in those moments where we choose to turn away or to, to grab onto sin. That's right. No, he, he kind of perseveres with us through it all. In her vision of, of the Father, the Father has entrusted everything to us when he entrusted his Son. And once the Father gives a gift, he never snatches the gift back. And so even though we abuse the gift of Christ's presence in our hearts by 
by ignoring it or living in a way that rejects it, the Father doesn't take that gift back. Christ remains present present with the soul, even in the soul with deep sin. But his presence to a soul that has become hard-hearted, that doesn't believe in love, his presence is one of inviting to conversion, uh, inviting back into the love of the Father. And so that when we respond to that invitation, when we go to confession, the work of God's love can begin in, in us all over again. It's this presence of Christ, though, that makes this new beginning possible. Well, and she also, she mentions that secret power that flows from him. You know, sometimes he's working in us and, and we may not feel it. There may not be warm fuzzies. We may not have that, you know, oh, that, that type of consolation that says he's there. Part of that faith is trusting that even in those moments we don't experience that. He's still working. That's right. We, our faith in his presence uh, doesn't rely on things that we feel or don't feel or intuitions of his presence or whether or not we feel good before or after or during our prayer or it doesn't rely on some like psychological state that we achieve. It's by faith and, and really faith alone. Uh, sometimes you feel uh, like you're resting in the love of the Lord and it feels kind of warm and, and you have this intuition of how loved you are. And that's a great grace. What a wonderful consolation. And uh, for people who receive that, thank God for that. It's just tremendous. But that's not the way prayer works all the time. And for a lot of people, it's not the way it works even most of the time. A lot of times you spend time with God and it seems as if he's not there and that nothing is happening. And the temptation is to think, well, maybe nothing's happening. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I should give up prayer. And the wisdom of Carmel, the wisdom of Elizabeth of the Trinity, but also John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, is that you don't give up on prayer. You, you persevere. You get a good holy book or the scriptures, and uh, you sit down in front of the Blessed Sacrament or in the silence of your room with maybe a little lit candle, and you turn your heart to him. And when your heart starts to wonder, you begin to read the book until you become aware of him again. And you rest in that awareness of that he's there or the belief that he's there. And then when you get distracted by uh, laundry lists and grocery lists and things like that, you go back to your book and you read it again uh, until you're capable of making that act of faith that he is with me. He's with me right now. He's changing me. His love is alive in me. It's the most real thing in my life. I can believe in this. It, uh, a soul that will do that, that will give itself over to that, the discipline of that, kind of solitude and silence will be blessed indeed. She actually goes on in this letter to quote St. John of the Cross. The essence of our life in Carmel is this divine, holy, intimate union. It is what makes our solitude so precious for, as our Holy Father John of the Cross, whose feast we are celebrating today says, two hearts who love each other prefer solitude to anything else. And when you respond to that solitude, when you say yes to the silence, a deeper love in your heart begins to grow. Key to the kind of the reflection of the rest of the letter is her devotion to Jesus. She's devoted to him as a bride. She wants to be the bride of his heart. And she kind of 
speaks into the same desire that she knows is in the heart of Madame Angus and uh, kind of invites her to share the same with her, uh, that Jesus is actually that adorable, that lovable, that if you give your heart to loving him, it, it's actually the fulfillment of everything in your life. It's filled with meaning. This is hard, a hard thing. People on the whole, many very devout Catholics, one of the things they wrestle with is kind of the question, is it really real? I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but in the back, there's kind of a little bit of a doubt that if I really give everything to him, if I really spend my life and let him be the center of everything, will I really be happy? Well, Elizabeth in this letter, she's pretty much saying, yes, you will be. I, this is what I'm experiencing. I'm, I've found unimaginable happiness by saying yes to him. Isn't this wonderful? You can do the same thing. Say yes to him. Let him be the center of your heart. And he makes all things new. What else can we glean from this particular letter? There's a kind of a concluding thought. They used to go on family trips into La Jura, which is a mountainous region of France that kind of gets close to the Alps. It's very, very beautiful. And I think also down into the Pyrenees, too, they went together. As for me, I will never go to your beautiful mountains again but I will follow you there in soul and heart, asking him who is our rendezvous to draw us to those other mountains, those divine summits that are so far from earth they nearly touch heaven. I remain wholly united with you there beneath the rays of the sun of love. The image then both of them share a love of the mountains. Elizabeth, she found the mountains exhilarating. And so did her friends. And, and you know, maybe a little wistfully, I won't be able to go to those, those beautiful mountains again. I'm in Carmel. I've made my decision. And sometimes that decision is to renounce really beautiful things. But she hasn't renounced this friend whom she loves. And she calls her friend to even more beautiful mountains. The mountains of the heart the mountains of God's love, of his grace, the summit of the perfection of the Christian life, which consists in charity, friendship, love of God. She's inviting uh, Madame Angles to climb these mountains with her. As you strive for the perfection of love in your life, as you strive to take away everything that's an obstacle to love in your life and live solely for God, the love of God, the son of love, this bright, shining reality kind of illumines the whole soul. And she says, they nearly touch heaven. As we strive to enter into deep prayer, as we strive to order our lives towards love, to remove the obstacles of love in our lives, it's an ascending motion. It makes us vulnerable to the things of heaven. It's a way you live heaven here on earth. She's already said, I have my heaven. It's a heaven by faith in the God who has loved me to the end, Christ crucified. She says this in another letter. Here, she's saying that this heaven, the experience of it that she started out a letter with, this place where we are awaited by love, this place where there is infinite love ready to embrace us, isn't something that we wait for at the end of our lives or after this life. It's something that's breaking in on us right now. If we strive to be perfect in our love for God through prayer and through 
practicing our, our love for one another through discipline in the spiritual life, uh, all the disciplines, fasting and praying and doing the corporal and spiritual works of mercy for each other, uh, going to Mass and uh, going to confession as we need to. When we strive to do these things, when we make ourselves especially vulnerable to our spouse or to our children and really listen to what's going on in their hearts, as we do these things, where it's like we're, we're mountain climbing, as we ascend this mountain of love, we, we expose ourselves to the sun of love, the, the bright, warm light of God that uh, wants to shine on us. Uh, and Elizabeth is inviting Madame Angels into this sunshine, into this sunshine of God's love. It's quite compelling, isn't it, Anthony, that even in her, what seems to be more isolated situation in the Carmel, she is experiencing a profound sense of community, of a much greater assembly of those who are sharing and interceding and praying for and suffering with. It's almost as though she goes into the Carmel, what would appear to be, again, in a more isolated situation, and she's seeing something much, much, and experiencing something much, much bigger. Yeah, that's a beautiful thought. You know, the reality of God's love is so rich and beautiful. We sometimes let those words fall off our lips a little bit thoughtlessly. We lose sight of the truth, the, the reality they are for us. And when we claim that reality, when we say yes to this in faith, there's a confidence that carries us up, a, a kind of courage that, we, that can help us advance forward in life. Uh, when we forget those words, when we lose sight of what's truly essential in life, well, uh, we make ourselves vulnerable to all kinds of pettiness and vulnerable to losing our way so often. Elizabeth is, is inviting us, just as you said, she's inviting us to behold a deeper, richer uh, reality uh, and to root our existence on it, to, to make that the ground that we stand our whole being on. It's a very powerful thought. It all looks like love, doesn't it? And, and when I mean by that, it's not just a cheery type of 60s imagery you might come up in your mind of, of hearts and flowers, and but it's a love that engages in relationship with others, making yourself present to others, and whether it's an encouragement or to be able to just be present in suffering. We can be that in that communion of saints, an extension of that for those, like who, like even for who she's writing to, even though she's also, she's extending that love, that communion of the saints to others. And we can do that too, can't we? Yes, we can. And, uh, and that's the beauty of, of our faith. It makes possible a deeper kind of commitment, it's precisely because we believe in love and we're able to draw from a love that is more than this world. We are capable also of commitments that are stronger and greater than this world. She talks in here about being vowed to the Lord. She, her spousal love and a vowed love, a faithful love, is what that speaks to. So this is what kind of 
that this isn't just sentimentalism and romanticism. She's talking about giving the whole gift of herself. And she has confidence to give that gift. She has confidence to speak this way because the love, the strength is in her own. In fact, she, what we read earlier, she quotes Saint Therese of Lisieux, Be thou my sanctity. That comes right out of the act of oblation. She wants to be holy, and Christian holiness consists in charity, friendship, love of God. Holy To be holy means to be set apart. And how are we set apart? By the charity, friendship, love of God. Therese of Lisieux and her great act of oblation, she merciful love, you know, says, I, I want to be a saint, be my sanctity. In other words, I want to be set apart by love, by the perfection of your love. Become that in me. Let this be in me. Let, let your reality, your holiness, your love that sets you apart, O oh God, be the reality of my heart. Elizabeth claims that as her own in this letter. And so it's place to stand our existence, a, a place to root ourselves that, that raises us up above the world and transforms everything, uh, everything we do. Uh, we see it in a new light. It, we're no longer victims of the circumstances of the moment. They don't get to make what's going on right here, right now, this person uh, dissing me or, or not being recognized. These things don't get to make an absolute claim over my life because they're not what's ultimately real. What is ultimately real is that God is setting me apart with his own love. He's, he's making me holy with his own holiness. We can root our faith in that. The experience of heaven is now. Elizabeth challenged us and invited us to taste heaven. I think it's a beautiful thing for us to turn our hearts towards heaven and to think about this love that awaits us. The love of heaven isn't something so remote from us. She writes this letter with a conviction, something breaking in on us right now, something that awaits us, that is awaiting us, and we're not alone, and we can live our lives immersed in this if we will choose to believe. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. We'd like to take this moment, too, to thank Miriam Gutierrez, who provided the voice for St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lullis.